0: there green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app and let's get growing. Welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast today. So it is Thursday, January 17th, 2019, and I'm super excited because we finally got a little bit of snow. We haven't been getting much snow in Montana today, and I have um, lots of guests that have been booking, and I know I have lots of great interviews for you coming up, and today I have a young, I think, rock star, millennial maybe, I guess I didn't ask, so we'll have to double check on that one, but um, she grew up here in Montana on kind of a farm and a ranch, and she's running this thing called the Streetery Food Truck, and Mike pointed it out to me, and so I asked her if she would come on, and she said she's not much of a gardener, but she can tell still tell us a lot, and so um, I think you're going to be really excited to hear from Sarah Manuel today, so welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much, Jackie. Well, thank you for, you know, taking time to talk with us. And um, I know you're busy and I know things are new. So go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, A little bit about my past. Um, I was raised in a world of agriculture. I grew up on a farm and a ranch uh, that was not always organic. Uh, My parents converted Uh, the entire operation over to organic in 2007 when I was 10 years old and so that was very interesting you know as a young child to really see that process of like the old ways and then shifting to the new ways of organic and just how much better and how much healthier everything becomes through that process Um, and so with that conversion we moved to a lot of diversified crops and so you know, like before we had converted to organic, we were just doing a lot of like the same old thing that everyone else does. And it was pretty much just wheat and the occasional clover or alfalfa. Um, but we switched to growing lots of ancient greens like spelt, kamut, purple prairie barley. We grew farro, lentils, chickpeas. Um, and while we were growing all of those, uh, I was At a pretty young age, learning how to cook and also bake uh, with all of these new ingredients that were native to Montana at that time. And so um, I think that was where I got a a pretty strong basis for just working with local ingredients and working with what is available um, at any given time. Um, So that's kind of the farming side of it. We also did, we raised cattle as well. Um, And so that was really interesting for me to, um, to grow up working cows and we would trail them and just like calving season and everything that you go through. um, Like on the organic side, uh, we do everything 100% organic and then also grass fed. Um, And so it takes a little longer and like there's so many differences. I remember (laughs) watching Food Inc. uh, when it came out and seeing the vast difference between our operation compared to like the feedlots they have pictured. Um, You know, everything from how the feedlots were just like so crammed compared to how we have the open pasture and then uh, they were administering antibiotics uh and growth hormones and we were just allowing our cattle to grow naturally and you know it takes longer but um, it does in my opinion allow for a more healthful product and also uh, a product that tastes better too um and so through all that process i think i just gained a really good appreciation for for the organic food system and the extra work and the extra time and thought that really goes into it. And I know that's the same for a lot of people that are gardening too. Um, I love to just like have conversations with people about the new things that they're trying and the new methods that, you know, some are working and some aren't and, you know, learning what grows well here and what doesn't and then figuring out how to utilize all of those things uh, in cooking.
0: So did you have a lot of brothers and sisters or like, I'm so, um, you just seem like you were so interested in like things that I was not interested at all when I was a teenager like (laughs) cooking or, you know, but Mike was just laughing at me last night about the lack of chores when I was, he's like, when did you have time to watch all of this TV anyway? As we were like, I don't know, watching some rerun of something last night. And I was like, I, we came home after school and watched TV and he's like, didn't you have chores to do? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I must have had a similar upbringing to Mike.
1: Um, uh, so I have. Five. Yeah,
0: well, he grew up on a cattle. He grew up on like a 1,200 acre cattle ranch here in Montana. Yep. So, uh <laughs> yep. And did you have? He had four brothers. Did you have okay. like a lot of brothers and sisters, uh, or?
1: Yeah, so I do. I have uh, I have three brothers and two sisters, and I'm the second oldest. Um, so I just have one older brother and then we're ranging in ages from 23 down to seven. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think growing up with, you know, especially so many younger siblings, um, just kind of imparts a little bit of extra responsibility automatically, uh, to a person. And so I think that was part of it. Like, I I think cooking was something that um, I did like to do it, but I didn't always cook because I wanted to. It was just like something that we had to do Um, (laughs) because we had a lot of people to feed. Um, And the same thing with, you know, working out on the ranch, like there's not always great help available, but, you know, my parents had a lot of kids, so we were, you know, we were out there whenever we needed to be. Um, which I, you know, that, that builds a good work ethic. And I really do appreciate, um,
0: all of those, all of those
1: opportunities. It
0: sure does. Yeah. Well, good for you. So well, do you, so like you were probably like in the garden, like your whole life then like growing, cause I always kind of start the show asking about your very first gardening experience. Like who were you with? What'd you grow? Like how old were you? You were probably a little kid with your parents.
1: Um, yeah, you could say, uh, we did have, um, a pretty good garden in our backyard for the majority of my childhood. Um, and, you know, we, I wouldn't really classify myself as a green thumb. I decided that I'm better at cooking than I am at growing, but I, I do love the process. Um, even when I went away, uh, to college, I had like my little herb garden on the back porch, but yeah, I mean, we grew tons of root vegetables and, melons Uh, we had corn one year in our garden and we had strawberries and rhubarb just like pretty standard things you could say um oh and definitely like lots of salad greens and tomatoes Um, no you're
0: up in Haver, which is like northern montana for listeners like she's kind of up on the high line like we're close to canada so it's not the easiest place to grow food is it
1: it's not uh unless you have a greenhouse but even still there's challenges um yeah i'm about as close to canada as you can get um it takes about 40 minutes to drive to the border from where i live um And so that definitely does present some challenges, um, especially, you know, just with climate. Um, But there's ways to work around it. And just, I think that's where experimenting with what really grows well in Montana. And so there's actually a lot of farmers around the area who've just been spending years perfecting that, like with anything from fruit trees to varieties of tomatoes and peppers, like what is going to grow well in this climate and what's going to produce the best in the soil that we have in the time frame that we have um because it's very different from um other states across the country
0: it sure is i was just going through all of our garden journals from like when mike and i first got married back in 1993 through present wow. and kind of writing down like our first start dates like when mike usually puts it in and i found For the most part, it's usually like the second week in April, somewhere between the 7th and the 10th of April. I was surprised at how consistently pretty much that's about when he puts everything in the ground here. Like the first start, like lettuce, spinach, like all your peas, cool weather, potatoes, things that can go in the ground and take a frost and then... Stuff that can have a frost, like beans, green beans, and corn and stuff, he planted pretty much like right around our anniversary, January or June 5th. So, right in that first week of June, the end of May. So, it was interesting to see how over the years, how actually consistent pretty much that was when he planted. Because my husband's kind of more the gardener than I am, too.
1: I see. That's a really great idea to record the dates like that. Uh, that's something well, I, I've always just... I'm
0: kind of a journalist... Well, we, and so then last year we came out with, like, a garden journal for people to, like, keep track of, like, what food they bought, what are they spending the most money on produce in the store, and, like, what's your favorite recipe that you're cooking this week to kind of give people some data to start with. But I'm a huge data junkie, but, yeah, it was interesting to see. Like, I also have, like, dates of, like, when did we first harvest things, and, like, when did we eat the first pea, and when did we eat the first blade of it, and, like, how many years we were actually still eating asparagus, because our asparagus patch never really grew, but I was surprised that we actually did harvest asparagus for like four or five years where I, I like my memory of it is like we planted it and one year we had asparagus and that was it. So just like different days, it's amazing. But a lot of my guests that are, um, you know, full-time farmers, I think have said that that's one of the biggest secrets to their success is keeping track over the years of, uh, what grew well, what they did, what varieties, I'm not very good at keeping track of what varieties we're planting.
1: Hmm. well even still i think <laughs> you're definitely farther ahead than i am with um the gardening data because i i agree with you um i love to analyze data um i haven't done it as much with gardening but especially like with um streetery in the past year um i'm i closed for the winter and so it's just been a time to rest and regroup and i've been like going through all of my numbers and seeing what worked well and what didn't and what days of the week were better and what events were better and um like which menu items did the best and like I mean I could spend hours just pouring over <laughs>
0: all of the information um but yeah so why don't you I tell think. us a little bit about streetery and your food truck and how that all got started
1: yeah I would love to um
0: so I think I should
1: probably first yeah start if you with... want
0: to back up go ahead
1: okay yeah so um getting into you know I gave a little bit of the agricultural background. And so now getting into um, the culinary realm that I entered a few years ago, um, it all kind of started um, gradually. Like, I can't really identify one point where I decided I want to be a chef. Um, It just, you know, it was sort of this accumulation of events where um, in high school I did a lot of farmer's markets. Um, I, mostly with baked goods, but they were all featuring as many local ingredients as possible. So I would go out to the mountains and forage for June berries and, uh, berries. And I'd use all the ancient grains that we were growing and grind it into flour and using local honey and like, you know, as many things as I could get my hands on, um, that were local, I would feature all of those ingredients. Um, and then my senior year of high school, Uh, We took a trip to California, um, to the Bay Area, and I know that you have quite a few listeners um, in California, so I thought this was interesting. Um, There's a book called Lentil Underground.
0: Yeah, Um, I've interviewed Liz Carlisle. Okay, awesome.
1: So yeah, Liz Carlisle, so she's from Missoula. And she um, wrote this amazing book called Lentil Underground, and it's essentially about like a bunch of farmers in Montana who um, were some of the first people to really start growing organic lentils here and just that entire process, because now Montana is actually the number one producer of lentils. Um, And so she just goes through that whole story. And so my family is actually featured in one of the chapters of that book and because they are of that who are you, yeah who's your yeah um it's uh i believe it's chapter 12 uh in lentil underground it's called the gospel of lentils <laughs> um, and so because of that um she flew my entire family like all my siblings and my parents out to california when she launched the book and um it wasn't just my family. It was like all of these families that were featured in the book. And we stayed in this huge Airbnb house together and just had a great time. And we went to, you know, all of her events and got to meet people that were reading the book and just, you know, explain a little bit more about the process of everything. And so through that trip, um, I made a lot of really great connections. And one of them was actually with some other farmers who are also um, near Haver. They're actually further north, like right on the Canadian border, but they farm organically as well. Um, uh, they are dug in a crabtree with Villicus Farms. And on that trip, um, they sort of casually offered me a job um, in between... You know that summer between high school and college, I had kind of decided at that point that I was going to go to culinary school, but I didn't really have a definite plan beyond that and so they actually hired me on as their uh culinary specialist we called it um, so essentially i I lived out at their farm Monday through Friday um and cooked three meals a day for their farm crew um and at the time at the time, I felt highly unqualified. <laughs> to do so but it it really turned out really great um and I loved every minute of it um it it just it gave me so much freedom to you know just kind of cook whatever I was feeling that day but also to utilize the things that were readily available and the things that were locally grown because we're all totally tracking with you know each other on what's like what's important in the food world and like what is nutritious and you know how can we utilize these things and so they were just really great to work with and it was just, i think i just got really lucky with that opportunity <laughs> before culinary school so then in the fall i i moved to Kalispell and attended the culinary institute of montana um which takes a little under two years to get an associate degree and so i graduated uh, in December of 2016. And it was kind of just craving an adventure at that point. Um, I had always been leaning towards um, entrepreneurship and self-employment uh, and trying to tie that into the food world. So I guess like the most obvious choice was to start a restaurant, but that seemed like kind of a daunting commitment at the time. And so I actually moved to Maui.
0: Um, wow, that's pretty the, far away. I'll bet that was yeah. fun, though.
1: <laughs> it was. Yeah, I I went with the Woof program. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but it's um, Worldwide yeah. Opportunities on Organic Farms. But I'm
0: glad you told everybody. Yeah, Worldwide <laughs> Opportunities on Organic Farms.
1: Yeah, um, and so they have like this really great online directory. So you can go to um, like woofusa.com, I think is what it's called, um, and you can essentially type in like either the type of agriculture you're interested in, or you can um, type in like the city and the state that you would like to um, go have an experience. And you can stay anywhere from a week to a month to several months, just depending on the operation and what you're looking for and what the operation needs. Um, So essentially, it's like a work trade. So you go and um the standard agreement is you work 20 hours a week um, and then in return you get free room and board so um, some places that means they feed you three meals a day some places that means they give you staple ingredients and a kitchen um, that was the case for me in Maui so I stayed at two different farms while I was there uh, the first we did a lot of literal ground breaking uh, we made raised beds and uh worked on some beehives and managed a farm stand. Um but I it was it was very rugged at the first farm. I actually lived in a tent um <laughs> for a month. Um and we didn't have like running water so we always had to go and haul that up to the top of the mountain and um but it was a really great experience. It was very humbling actually.
0: Um, <laughs> and, then the and did you get farm, to at least like go to the beach and swim and enjoy I mean 20 uh, hours a yeah, week isn't yeah, yeah. all that much and it's yeah. probably hard work
1: it, it was I mean yeah it was hard work but it wasn't very long and so there definitely was a lot of free time um, the farm like you could see the ocean from where we were but we were actually up in the mountains of Maui um, In the it's called upcountry like above Kula if anyone is familiar with the geography of Maui, um, but, so you could, like, see the ocean and see the beach, but to actually get there um, took quite a while, because none of us had cars, so, like, we had, we'd had we have to walk a couple miles to the nearest bus stop, and then take, like, a bus ride for a couple hours to actually get to the beach, but, I mean, either that, between that and hitchhiking, like, we did make it to the beach quite a few times, um, <laughs> but,
0: so the second. So were there, actually, and there were other people there with you, like other people that yeah. were living. Did you just go by yourself? Yeah. Were you terrified going from Montana to Hawaii? Like, were your parents like, "Oh my goodness"? Yeah, my parents were freaking out a little bit, but I mean, I was
1: excited. Um, <laughs> I think I was just ready for something new, and you know, I, like I, I had a Skype interview with the farm hosts before I went, and I had a, you know, I had my tent and I had my general plan of what was going to go on, and they picked me up at the airport. Um, but yeah, I remember getting a phone call from my mom, like after I was there for a couple of days and she was like, yeah, I'm just calling because I realized that you landed. She's like, I know that you landed in Hawaii, but I never actually confirmed that you made it to the farm. And now it's been two days. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should check if you're alive. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was great though. And, um, there was quite a big group of people, um, some from California, some from north carolina and then actually uh there was a girl from montreal a girl from the netherlands um there's someone from colorado i think i think that's everyone for the most part that was there um but yeah it was it was a really great group of people and so we would just you know work together and then go have adventures together um afterwards and so quite a few of us actually ended up switching to another farm after a month that was just a few miles down the road um, but it was very very different it was a permaculture farm um, called Rancho Relaxo and that was the first that I had ever learned of permaculture um, and I was fascinated um, all because I found this farm online through the WOOF site and it said that it was a a fruit orchard and it did have mention of permaculture but i just didn't really know what to expect and so in my mind like a fruit orchard it was going to be like rows of orange trees and rows of avocado trees and rows of you know like papayas and rows of mangoes and everything just like how i would imagine any other farm to be but with permaculture i remember walking in and just being blown away like it just it looked like the Garden of Eden in a way. It was just so mystical (laughs) and so beautiful Um, because you walk in and there's just like this winding dirt road that is going through all of this um, tropical foliage. And I remember getting the tour for the first time and he'd say, oh, there's a banana tree. There's an avocado tree. Like, oh, this one is a little baby mango tree. And here's where our coffee is growing. And there were tilapia ponds and there were two chicken coops and vegetable gardens, but it was just all intermixed uh, with each other and all benefiting from each other in turn. So um, that was a really wonderful experience just um, to see that different approach to agriculture. Um, So while I was at that farm, um, the, it didn't take the owner long to learn that I could cook. Um, and so we actually ended up putting together a farm to table event while I was there, which, yeah, it was really, fun. it was nothing huge, but yeah, we had a group of people come right out to the farm and um, I, a local hunter um, brought us some venison tenderloins and then, yeah, we featured Local greens and lots of veggies and some eggs from the farm, and then um, we also featured, you know, lots of like as much local produce as we could get, just at markets and things. And then, yeah, I did a really nice. I think it was a four course dinner that evening um, with wine pairings, and um, it was fantastic. And it, it was sort of just you know this little moment of of paradise. Uh, in my past, but then the advent of streetery came um, about a year later. I moved back home the summer of 2017 um, to help out with a few things on my family's farm. We had a huge farm tour coming up, and um, just had a lot of things to get ready for that. And then we were also a little short-handed that year, and so my dad just literally needed people to come and help sort cows and drive tractors and um, things that i hadn't done in a long time after being away um but it was good to to get back into that and so so that was the summer of 2017 um, and towards that fall uh, i noticed that we could possibly benefit from some direct marketing um, of our organic beef and then also pork um, had been implemented at that point. Um, So I began applying for a grant, working on a website, um, searching for like a freezer and getting a a license to distribute locally um, some of our our meat products. And while I was working with all of our local business development um, centers, one of the representatives told me hey there's this this vacant food truck that is just sitting behind um, a brewery in town and he said you should contact them and see if they're you know planning on doing anything with it or if they would rent it to you because he's like i think if anybody decided to do something with it it could be really successful and I, honestly, I, I did contact the brewery, but I, I didn't think that it would very, like, I didn't think it would come to very much, um, but I thought, well, what the heck, I've got time right now. I'll just call them up and see what the plan is. And so I I did, and I just sent them a message and told them who I was and told them that I had a culinary education um, and that I had a farm-to-table style of cooking um and they got back to me right away and we had a meeting this was in january of last year and we made up a contract saying that i would essentially rent out the truck from them month to month um, and park it outside of their brewery which is uh, triple bug brewing and then you know if there were any events going on in town i could take it to them or private catering gigs or whatever that was fine Um, And so that's how Stradery was born. Um, It it all happened so fast. We started planning mid-January and opened two months later on St. Patrick's Day last year. Um,
0: Wow. Yeah. That's interesting because my stepdaughter that I was telling you that runs a food truck, she's parked right outside of a brewery locally. And she talks about like... When I ask her about getting her own food truck, she says she really doesn't think it would do as well if it, she thinks that location is just key that it's out there by. And they are so busy. It's amazing because this brewery is like right at the base of like coming out of um, like a place where people go snowmobiling all the time. Like it's a big recreation area here where we are in our town. Like there's this road that goes 28 miles up into the wilderness and like people go hiking up there and they go fishing up there and there's like 10 lakes up there that you can either drive there's two you can drive to and then there's tons you can hike to and then in the middle of summer you can actually drive to Glacier National Park that way through the woods I mean most of the time it's you know shut off about I don't know maybe 10 miles up there if you can even go that far but so this brewery just happens to be on that road it's not in town in Eureka where we live and then they have the little pizza truck right next to the brewery and they sell pizzas and salads. And so, so I'm curious, like, and it's interesting that yours is right by a brewery. Like, did you find in the, is that right in Haver? Is that where we're talking about?
1: Because yeah. Haver is a pretty
0: small town, right? Well, okay. Can I ask what, what her food truck is called? I'm just curious. Um, I think, so he has a place in town called Fire and Slice, And I think the food truck, it used to be run by, um, there's like a local restaurant here called Cafe Jack's, and they used to run the pizza truck out there, and then she sold it to this other guy, and he runs the pizza place in town, and then my stepdaughter manages his food truck out at the brewery. I think is how it all came about. Okay. Truth be told, I'm not that 100% sure. But I'm pretty sure his business in town is called Fire and Slice, and I think that they're that's the pizza truck out there.
1: Okay. Well, that's really cool. Um, Yeah. So I think it's definitely been really great to work with um, the owners of the, of the brewery. Um, They are always like giving me super great ideas and um, just really supportive of, you know, new things that I'm thinking about trying Um, And it's also just nice to have them actually as business mentors as well, because they are about to celebrate their fifth anniversary um, with the brewery being open. And so, you know, with them open five years and me just finishing my first year, it's nice to be able to ask them, you know, we have the same like payment processing systems. So I can be like, hey, like I have this problem with this or you know, what do you think about these numbers? And what do you think about like this idea or launching this? Or what do you think about like trying to market something this way? Cause like, you know, like, streetery is, it's, it is my business. Like I do own it, but it's just, it is nice to have their input along the way. They've just been very helpful. And honestly, like. Sure.
0: Any kind of mentor like that would be huge. Yeah. So there, I mean that, and then also, um, I'm curious to know what numbers they tell you to look at, but finish your thought. Sorry, I I shouldn't. I don't mean to interrupt, but...
1: okay. Yeah, so um, so Michael has also been really great. He's Michael and Aaron are the owners of Triple Dog, And Michael's just like he's very mechanically minded, more so than I am, anyways. And so you know, if something if it, this is an old truck that I have, it's like a 1968 Ford. So um, it definitely had a couple of problems last year, just, you know, getting it from point A to point B sometimes. Um, And so it was nice to have to not do that by myself, you know, like still getting involved, but not just winging it on something like that. And so um, it's definitely been really helpful to to have both of them along the way. Um, And they also uh, chime in with ideas for new menu items too. Um, That's something that I really love about Strudery, And I think something that makes it unique is that um, our menu constantly is changing. Um, We have like a kind of a set menu for each season for spring, summer, and fall. But even within those set menus, um, we're constantly reintroducing new menu items, uh, sometimes even every week, um, depending on what's available. Like last year, um, I have some people that um, have a greenhouse and a big garden that grew a lot of tomatoes for me last year, and also jalapenos. Um, And they had this certain golden plum variety of tomato that they just had so many and they couldn't get rid of them fast enough. And so they just sent me a message and said, hey, like we have mm, these golden tomatoes and like... We're just trying to figure out like what to do with them. And I was like, okay, well, let me think about it for a couple of days and I'll come up with something that will use them. And so I just invented this sandwich that had, um, it was sourdough that I had the local bakery make for me out of Montana flour. And then um, so sourdough bread, and then I took uh, garbanzo beans and cooked them down with garlic and some other seasonings. So it they weren't like, They were cooked down enough to the point where they had kind of lost their shape, but I didn't blend them like hummus, so they still had some good texture to them. And then um, did sharp cheddar, Montana cheese, and then put – I sliced those golden tomatoes and put them on this sandwich and then grilled it and served it with a uh, creamy cilantro curry dipping sauce. Um, And I called it the hipster chick.
0: (laughs) It was definitely (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> I'm like sitting here drooling. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I'm a total yeah. hippie, so I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> that sounds so good. That garnish is just like, <sighs> I want to come yeah. to have her just to try it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so, I mean, it was just something that I featured it for a couple of weeks to to get through their surplus of golden tomatoes. And I have to say, like, that one is probably one of my most... Um, Well, most creative, but also just most like eccentric dishes that I've come up with at the truck. Um, Haver is definitely, I mean, it's a huge agricultural community um, and very much like a meat and potatoes kind of town, uh, except for like, you know, a a small group of people that (laughs) would rather not. um, And so every once in a while, I introduce something like the hipster chick,
0: (laughs) But, you know, I I can't go too crazy. (laughs) Um, You know, I still, I also had specials. We're very, we have a very similar, similar audience here too.
1: Yeah. So like still I have a lot of specials that are like smoked meatballs and mashed potatoes with IPA gravy, which is still delicious. And actually I really like that one, Um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a fine line between you know, getting super creative to use what's available and then getting too crazy and everyone thinking you're a hippie. So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I know exactly how that goes. So it's kind of like my house sometimes. My husband's definitely a more meat and potatoes person than I am, but he does a really good job because I think he grows all our vegetables. So he's, he's at least a little more adventurous probably than some other people. And we don't eat very much meat here at my house at all. But, um, what about, uh, I don't know any, like, what are some tips you could tell somebody maybe that's like thinking of creating a food truck? Like, so that food truck that you went into already had like a refrigerator and an oven and like a kitchen already put into it. Right. Um,
1: you know, it did have some things, but we did add. So when, when I first toured the truck, um it had counters, it had a, a propane flat top, it had warmers, a three compartment sink, a mini fridge, and a chest freezer. Um, and then uh the owners of the of the truck they added in a fryer. Um uh, and so with that fryer we actually had to add in a, a ventilation system. Um which was trickier than we thought just because it's such a small space. We had to kind of get one custom built for that. And then uh, we did also buy a small oven for the truck. And then actually uh, they also bought um, a big smoker um, that we're going to hook onto the back of the truck. I used it a little bit last summer, but I'm looking to use that even more this year. Um, doing a lot of smoked meats and maybe a little bit of barbecue too. Um, And, like, I did a smoked mac and cheese last year that went over really well. Um, But, yeah, I would say, okay, tips for starting a truck. I, I would say definitely consider your potential menu. And I know that can be really daunting just starting out because, like, you don't really know necessarily what people are going to respond well to um or like what will be available um but like if you can get like a general idea of like what you would really like what type of food you would really like to cook that will be very helpful in that first step especially if your food truck doesn't have equipment in it yet like i kind of tried to plan my menu around what was available but also like the equipment that was already in the truck um but like for example uh the oven that I have, it takes up so much power. And so I I have two generators on the back of the food truck, but the oven, if it's on, uh, takes up pretty much an entire generator just to to power that. And so um, that's something to consider is just like, either get a huge generator (laughs) or um, try to come up with recipes and menu items that won't require things that take a lot of power to be on all the time. And so, um, like, you know, I do use the oven, but I try to use it for things like where the oven can be on before I'm open and to do whatever, and then, you know, put it, put the stuff in the warmer. Cause that takes up like so much less electricity while we're open. And so I don't have to worry about the generator
0: overheating or
1: things like that. Um,
0: I wouldn't even have thought of having to have a generator on a food truck. I mean, granted, I've never worked on one. I don't know. They can have one out there. She, you know, she's like in a permanent place, so she's pretty much plugged into electricity all the time. And they like, because it's pizza, it's wood-fired, which I guess is where Fire and Slice comes from. So I think mm-hmm. they have a wood-fired pizza oven in there. Wow. Yeah, I that's really is good. What... That, that's awesome. So that's the thing, too. Like, I've thought about doing, not,
1: not really pizzas, but I've thought about doing, like, some sort of a flatbread kind of thing with some toppings or some sort of fun, like, dipping sauces. But it would require my oven to be on all the time, and it just, yeah, it sucks so much power. Um, so I, I never have really gotten into it.
0: Yeah. And so it really just, you know, it depends on your power source. And... That's interesting. I never would have thought of that. Um, when you're parked by that brewery, can you plug into electricity or you have to have your generators on there? You know, too? um, the past year, um, I,
1: I just used the generators cause we didn't want to have like, I'm out in their parking lot and so I didn't want to have like extension cords you know, running into the building all the time. We're thinking about parking it in another location, like still in the parking lot, but closer to the building and actually like wiring in the electricity to the building, but making it detachable so that, you know, the truck can still leave and go to events too. So we've tossed around a few of those ideas and actually we've talked about hooking into the water lines, but making that detachable. because that's the other thing.
0: um oh, those so are up. other things I never thought about. Water, like mm-hmm. if you're out at a market or something, having to have water.
1: Yeah. So that's the thing. um Water was a challenge last year because I I do have a three compartment sink in there, so I have running water. I've got a water heater, but my water tank is only about twenty five gallons, and yeah. so. Um, I would for a normal day at the brewery I could fill that and then fill the sinks in addition to that Um, so we'd have dishwashing water and we would be fine we would definitely not run out of water Um, but as for taking it to events like I you can't really drive the truck around when the sinks are full of water because it'll splash all over the floor and you know just be a disaster Um, and so what i ended up doing was i just went to um went to the store and bought really nice five gallon buckets that had um, like water sealed lids on them and i bought four of them and so i would fill up my water tank before i left to go to an event and then also i would fill up those four five gallon buckets and bring them with me to the event so that i could use those buckets for the dishwashing water and then still have water in the tank for like hand washing or various cooking because if you think about it like the three compartment sink uh it it easily takes up almost 20 gallons of water just you know to to barely get the sinks filled up for washing dishes and then that doesn't include mop water and hand washing water and just everything that is necessary so water is a huge challenge like either just get a ginormous water tank or or have some sort of a, a plan <laughs> in place. And it really depends, like, how you use the the truck, too. Like, um, Because, like I said, the days when I was at the brewery, it was not a problem. I, I used to have to haul, like, a five-gallon bucket back and forth from the brewery to the truck to fill up the tank. But I just went and bought, like, a 50-foot garden hose. <laughs> and before the brewery was open, I would just, like, run the hose into the brewery and then into the truck and fill it up that way. Um, We lived
0: the first six years I was married to my husband. We didn't have running water at all. And then we put in a shallow well and then we put in a deep shallow well. And we've actually been having challenges the last two winters um, because we don't have the new well hooked up to the house. And in the summer, he just kind of runs one hose from one, Well, so, like, we haven't had water during the winter, the last two winters, so I know all about hauling water, and Mm. kudos to you for, you know, getting that hose, because even that's an inconvenience, but, yeah, for sure, I completely understand.
1: Yeah, it, uh, Uh, I just. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe that it took me so long to buy a hose. To be honest, like I just I wasn't even gonna buy one, but I was just walking around at the store one day and like I was getting pretty buff from carrying these buckets of water every day. <laughs>
0: Not gonna lie. Yeah. And
1: I was just walking through the store one day and I was exhausted and I saw these hoses were on sale for like ten dollars and I was like, that is the best ten dollars I'm going to spend
0: this entire year, and I am buying this hose. <laughs> So uh, we got one funny. of these really cool hoses that like it kind of like rolls up in a um, thing when it's flat, but it's really like a thin and it's a super high pressure hose that I really am loving that like, I don't know, I oh. bought it like 10 years ago and just found it on like in a storage shed last summer and we pulled it out. And it even like the best part about it is you can leave like the spigot on and it shuts down really well. So you can like have it out and turn it on and turn it off right at the hose and I have to go back and forth to the spigot. So that's been kind of a cool thing. Maybe I'll send you a picture of what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, It might be, might be froze. So it might not be till spring when it thaws or wherever (laughs) it is, you know, it's like probably buried in a storage. We have so many sheds and storage places around here. It's a little overwhelming. I was watching that. uh, Who's that girl that wrote the um, life changing magic of tidying up? I think she was on good morning America this morning or something. And huh. my principal actually gave me that book a couple of years ago <laughs> and it's still sitting in my, on my bookshelf. But anyway, um, totally off topic there. Well, I wanted to ask you, have you seen that movie? The chef about that guy who like, uh, but ends up somehow he's like this famous chef and he ends up having to like buy a food truck in Florida that he totally doesn't want to do. And his son like travels across the country. They drive it back from California or Florida to California have you seen that movie
1: you know what i i haven't but i know exactly what you're talking about because like every person that i talk to is like oh you have to watch this movie (laughs) and i keep forgetting (laughs) um i'm terrible about watching movies but i i do want to watch that one that's on my list i just forgot that it was on my list but thank you for bringing it back
0: (laughs) sure well, thank you yeah. for sharing with us. I feel like you've just like, I know listeners are going to like this and they're going to be interested. And like, is there any, like, is there anything else that you wanted to share that I haven't mentioned or that's like, you think important or would be cool? Or what are your next, like, what are you looking forward to next season? Mm.
1: Well, you know, I think next season, I, I'm just looking forward to, you know, Definitely building up my team, building up uh, connections around the state um, as far as like working with different producers. That's one of my goals is like to have visited like each producer that's growing food for me. And I've actually been to a lot of them, but like this next season, I would love to make it a point to go visit the other farms that I haven't really seen yet that have been growing a lot of produce and also dairy products for me over the past year. Um, So that's something I'm looking forward to. And then just like taking on more events. Uh, We're definitely getting into more catering this year um, as well. What is
0: catering like? Like when you go somebody, do you actually take the truck or you're just cooking food for people for an event or both? Um, It can
1: be either or. It just really depends what person is looking for. And so catering is something that I never really advertised last year because honestly, it wasn't something that I was, like dying to do but I've just had so many people ask me um about catering and so I think I will start easing into it um I did do a little bit of it last year um but yeah so some people want the the truck for the ambiance like I catered a wedding last summer and they wanted the the food truck kind of feel it was like a like a backyard style kind of wedding and so um I, I brought the whole truck and we did street tacos and fruit kebabs and it was just this really cute kind of event. But then uh, some people, you know, just want like more casual, like catering for a business meeting. And so they just want, you know, like soup and sandwiches kind of thing, but still using local ingredients and still, with you know, thought put into the presentation. Um, and then I'm also looking to do some more like I guess you could say farm to table style events um, out on the ranch. That's something uh, my family and I have kind of been working towards just very gradually. Um, We're working on implementing a commercial kitchen, like right out on the ranch, where we can uh, do food truck prep, but also um, in the future um, host, you know, like various farm to table events, some maybe more smaller and upscale, and some. You know, with tons of people, where it's just like really low key, but just really good food. Um, and we would love to, you know, bring in local, you know, whether it be farmers or like people in agriculture, um, or even like fellow chefs, just like bring in people to speak and you know talk about the food and talk about what's going on in agriculture around Montana. So those are some ideas that are uh, that are currently occupying my brain heading into the next year. I would say for anyone who is considering getting into the food industry, especially, um, you know, with a food truck, I would just say my one piece of advice that's coming to me right now is plan everything now. Um, And a lot of it probably will change as you go, but like the more you can plan ahead, the better you will be. I think that's been something that's been really helpful for me this year Um, because last year I had like pretty much a month and a half to get all the menu written and get everything printed and get the logo designed and get the truck functional and schedule events and everything. But now I've, you know, by the time I will have reopened, I'll have had four months to just kind of decompress and plan and write new menus and think about new events that we can do and i think I think that's very, very powerful uh, and can serve to create a lot of opportunities that you probably
0: wouldn't have otherwise. awesome. What about, you know, I did kind of, like, what data do you feel is, like, the most important data, like, somebody look at, like, and how many people work with you on your truck? You were talking about building your team. How many people are on your team?
1: Yeah. Um, so, last year, um, I had four people on my team, but um, they're all part-time. And so, um, I have one other girl who is interested um, in joining, like, she's pretty enthusiastic about it, for the summer um and so that'll bring us up to five and uh, so that's like i have one or two people that i'm thinking about adding to the team and then also just like increasing um the hours of some of the team members that i currently have um we're switching the days that we're open so i'm still talking to everybody about you know everyone's schedules and how we can make it work but i've i've seen um, a lot of potential in the people that That worked last year but in different ways and so i've just been trying to figure out you know how can we best uh, utilize everyone's talents um, in a productive way and so yeah but with data hmm i mean to be honest like I, i love to analyze everything but i'm definitely no expert um i would say one thing that I've really been dwelling on lately uh, is the Pareto Principle, um, which for any listeners that haven't heard of that, um, it's essentially this rule that um, 80% of the results that you get are actually uh, um, are because of 20% of the inputs um, that you've done. So it, it was essentially by an Italian philosopher who noticed that like 80% of the land in Italy was owned by 20% of the population. And then uh, he also noticed that like 80% of the wealth was held by 20% of the population. And so it's like, it's applicable on large scales, but also smaller scales, like the average person only wears like 20% of the clothes in their closet kind of thing. Like, and so I've been really analyzing that with, with menu items, uh, figuring out um, kind of keeping that principle in those, that 80, 20% rule in the back of my mind, like what has, uh, what did people really respond to? Well, Um, and the same with events I've been trying to figure out, like, like what work did we put into last year that really brought forth the bulk of our positive results, um, as opposed to what did we do that really didn't make that big of a difference? and i think that's different for every business and different for every community um so i don't really know how to give a like a specific number like look at this but just kind of use that principle um in general
0: while looking through and you're really wise for your age <laughs> you seem to know so much more than i did about business when i was your age and just uh but like so being of a generation who grew up with you know uh, the internet and social media and things like that. Like, do you have any, like, do you look at that? Like where your social media work? Do you use social media? Like, do you have any favorite channels or like any wisdom for that coming from somebody who's a little more, um, you know, like I said, probably grew up and, and more tech savvy than some of the rest of us out there.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do utilize Facebook for, uh, both the meat distribution and for streetery. Um, and then instagram as well i haven't used instagram as much for streetery but i will definitely um, start doing that more in the in the 2019 season um but yeah for anybody that that does follow things on facebook you can find streetery the the username is um, at streetery mt and streetery is s-t-r-e-a-t-e-r-y um and yeah you know, like it's been pretty effective honestly, I just like it to keep everyone updated. I I do run ads every once in a while if we're going to be at a certain event. Um, But for the most part, um, I actually just love to use Facebook to um, post our weekly specials and then also give credit to the people who are growing our ingredients. And so um, I try to always say, like, this cheese is from Lifeline Farms, or these tomatoes are from High Horizon Gardens, or this beer that I used in this gravy is from Triple Dog, or um, this this beef in these meatballs is from Prairie Grass Ranch. And so um, I try to really give people the credit for, you know, where that's coming from. And I feel that Facebook is a pretty good platform for that, because um, I think... Um, I think Facebook and Instagram are both valuable tools in their own way but I think I think Facebook currently has a wider audience for the type of content that I'm posting and I think Instagram is growing and probably will soon overtake that but it's not quite there and so I've just been focusing more on Facebook and I think I'll ease into Instagram this year with that but yeah like um one thing with Facebook That I'm planning on implementing this year uh, is just like for every month that we're open I'll just post like you can you can pin posts to the top of a business page and so I'll just for each month have this image pinned to the top um, that has like our schedule so I'm hoping that people will eventually just get used to seeing that every time they go to our page and they can say okay Streetery will be doing like these three events at these three locations at these times and they'll be a triple dog for these days at these times and they'll be at the farmers market you know these weeks and um, just so that it's like a little bit more clear because last year um, i would try to post all the days that we were open but i would just you know do individual posts like the day before and i think if we could just have like one image with
0: all of that information that would be useful for everybody so Oh, cool. well, that was tons of golden seeds right there. The thing I like about Facebook over Instagram is I feel like it's easier to share like you were saying you want to give credit to people you're producing from, and you I just feel like it's easier to share other people's like a link to somebody else's page so much easier mm-hmm. than it is on Instagram, but I guess I've heard other people say that's one of the things they like about instagram, so Mm-hmm. but thank you so much Sarah, for spending all this time with us i feel bad that i i feel like this has gone longer maybe than you thought it was gonna and i just uh appreciate you telling us so much about everything and just i admire all your just so young to have done so many things growing up in haver and going to hawaii and working on a farm and living in a tent and starting this farm truck and and just running this own business at such a young age you uh I wish you the best of luck and just uh, I'm so excited for you. And uh, I don't know anything else you want to say that I don't, I don't mean to like, be like, you have to stop talking.
1: Oh no. Yeah. I, think, I just, I think I just, we I just covered everything. That... Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, I really appreciate that opportunity and I look forward to following your podcast in the future.
0: Uh Well, thank you so much. And if you ever want to come on and share about an event you're going to or anything or just... Um, I'm happy to have you back. Like, this was just fantastic. I'm so glad I reached out to you and you said yes. And I know listeners are going to be, because a lot of my listeners are interested in, you know, green, growing green jobs. And a lot of them have their own businesses or they're interested in becoming market farmers. And they might think, well, maybe that will be a way because a lot of people in Montana talk about value added produce and, and a big way to, if you want to have a farm in, Um, A place like this that, you know, figuring out those ways to like maybe cook your produce or, you know, make jams or jellies or my mom's constantly telling me Mike should be selling his baked goods, like just different ways to add products. And then I really like the way you're incorporating like Young's Farm out in Long Island told me one of their successful things is bringing in. Other people like you're sharing not just the food that's at your farm, but you're sharing from other farms. And I think just a ton of what you said today is going to really um, be exciting for a lot of my listeners. And also like there may be think the next time they go and see a food truck. Oh, I should, you know, support that food truck and the local farming. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Sarah, thanks so much. You have a wonderful day. I will. Thank you. You too. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook, helping you create an earth-friendly environment today. Available on Amazon for just $26.95. It's full of all the lessons from free organic garden course that Mike and I have put together to help you grow your very own organic oasis. Um, Whether you just want a landscape or some deep beds, uh, it's a perfect book. Um, It's got all the worksheets and everything to help you be successful and have a lovely organic oasis that you want to live in too hey there green future growers would you like your friends and neighbors to create an organic oasis too Would you like others in your area to learn about earth-friendly practices for their gardens and yards if so we would love it if you would share the organic gardener podcast with your local community or college radio station today thanks again for listening and remember grow local